The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you've had a great March soon. I hope we'll really be seeing spring instead of, yes, snow, even in Pittsburgh, where, of course, I'm headquartered. I'm going to tell you what, I am really excited about our show today, and that is for many reasons, but one it reminds me of why I always have a special shout-out to Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko invested early on young people with disabilities because we know we need that future leadership. You know, there's a group of us that cannot carry the mantle Forever, We need new people, new young people, and one person that is carrying that flag is Colleen Flanagan, who I am so excited to have as our guest today. Colleen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joyce. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. So, Colleen, um, for our listeners, first, how did you first get involved with the disability community? Hmm, that is a great first question. Well, um, I think my involvement with the disability community is because I was born disabled. And although, you know, being born in 19, the very end of 1979, um, growing up in elementary school years, disability, and even middle school and the early years of high school, disability wasn't a word that you heard very commonly. Um, you know, people would always kind of stutter around like, you know, oh, what's wrong with you? Or, you know, do you have a disease or different things? But as I started growing up, I realized that there's disability is not uh, only a uh, result of having um, different medical or behavioral challenges or communication challenges. It's also an identity. So once I embraced that I am a disabled teenager, because I probably started doing it in my teenage years, um, and now a proud disabled woman, um, I embrace the disability community because we're, we're one in five, as I know you know, Joyce. So. Yes, yes, I know. As a woman living with epilepsy, you know, one in 26 people will have epilepsy in their lifetime. And I am going to ask a question that relates to that in a few minutes. But first, that was very interesting, Colleen, when you were talking about, you know, going through elementary and through uh, middle school prior to the ADA being signed. So, you know, what was that like? Like, how did people treat you? And, you know, what was the situation with access? I mean, what was it like? So my, I, in 1985, um, entered public school. That was my first public, you know, um, opportunity. Before then, I was at home with mom and dad and my brother and sister and was pretty sheltered. So um, in 1985, like you said, the ADA hadn't been passed yet, and disability was a very, um, you know, hush-hush topic that was often only spoken about in the home. So I was like the first physically disabled student to use a wheelchair in uh, the public school I attended in 1985 in a small town in Massachusetts. And that was kind of difficult because I wasn't at a developmental stage yet to understand that I had unique um, needs and, and requirements compared to other students. So when there were things, when we faced inaccessibility, like, you know, there was the music room that wasn't accessible because there were stairs, and there was a lot of places at recess that I couldn't access because of physical barriers. It, it really made me begin to question why I had such limited opportunities at recess. I mean, seriously, when you're 
five and six years old, recess is the most important part of the school day. So, um, <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it was for me. So, you know, kind of going through that because I was the very first generation, um, in, in, like I said, when I entered school, the ADA hadn't even passed. It passed once I was in the fourth grade, but the, um, Education Act had already passed, so people or children with disabilities like mine using a wheelchair um, and needing a, a one-on-one attendant for um, activities of daily living while in school, it was, it was kind of unheard of. So everybody really didn't know what to say or what to do, and it, was, it, was, it, it actually probably built a lot of uh, strength and, and empathy, and, and it probably built a lot of great skills that I have now, but at the time, I was very confused because I didn't think I was any different than anybody else. thought I was, you know, a first grader. Wow. You know, that great TV show that the disability community is rallying around speechless because we have actually have a person with a disability playing the part. In the very first episode when he went to school, um, it was pointed out how he was marveled over, in other words, pitied, you know. Um, and when you were in school, being that was this was before the ADA, did you see that also from the teachers or a principal or anyone at the school? I definitely saw and experienced a strong reaction to my presence that no other student had. And my disability also has some medical implications, so I saw a lot of fear, actually. Um, you know, fear for me to be at gym class, certainly, because uh, the medical um, condition I have, it makes it so that my bones fracture very easily, especially as a kid. So I actually wasn't allowed in the gym room. That was another thing I didn't understand as a, you know, six-year-old. Um, and there was, like I said, a lot of confusion. And, yeah, of course, pity. I think um, my parents probably experienced the pity more than me because I think the, the other parents of students and certainly the teachers and staff felt bad that they had, you know, a disabled child or something. And my parents never really acted that way. So they just, you know, treated us like kids and they valued education for me and my siblings very, very, very much. Um, and I did watch them it, through my entire educational career um, advocate for my right to have an equal education much more than my siblings. Um, there was a few experiences where I kind of got passed through, um, you know, told that I did a good job or that I got an A when I didn't do a good job or get an A. Um, in fact, there's a story where I even read aloud a book and held it upside down in, in class and my parents found out and fortunately... Uh, advocated on my behalf to make sure that I I had access to an education, um, you know, really meaningfully. So wait, I love speechless. So wait, wait, I do wait, love wait. that show. Wait, wait, you read a book and you did what? Well, I wasn't reading it because I I when I was younger as a kid, I had a lot of medical issues, so I'd miss classes or there'd be different access issues or I'd be absent. So I wasn't actually probably being as um, meaningfully educated as I could have. I wasn't reaching the potential that my parents knew I had. So they really, uh, you know, advocated to my school district that, you know, I deserve and, you know, legally am entitled to a free and appropriate public education. And just giving me an A and always saying I do a good job when I don't actually do the assignment or I don't meet the expectations of the other student, the other, that's not doing me a favor, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that my parents did that for me uh, growing up. Yeah, I, and yeah. I am glad you talked about that because you know what? I see it, it's so upsetting to me because I do volunteer work uh, with young people with disabilities, and several of them have learning disabilities, and you know, they'll come in and say, oh, Miss Bender, I got A's. And I'll say, <laughs> okay. And in the meantime, that person cannot write. And so we have two bad things happening here. Number one, just passing the person through, not caring, just, you know, 
pity and okay, yeah. we'll, we'll just do this. And number two, so lowering the bar that they don't realize it gives false expectations to the student. In other words, exactly. they, you know, they, they think they're really smart. Now, then they're going to go out in the real world to get that first okay. job, and I don't care where it is. I don't care if uh, it's, you know, at an at a insurance company or at a retail. Mm-hmm. They're going to go in, mm-hmm. and guess what? They can't write. They can't fill out the application. Mm-hmm. And now the, the real world comes tumbling down. Exactly. And probably contributes to the astronomical rate of poverty that people with disabilities live with. I mean, I know you know that more people with disabilities live in poverty and, you know, face unemployment or underemployment at just much higher rates than people who don't experience disability. So, yeah. When you say that, it reminds me of uh, Marco Briftus, who I... Uh, we all know is a legend in the disab- living legend in the disability world. Absolutely. I'll never forget though, during President Clinton's administration, when I first met her, actually I was hearing her speak. She was the head of NDC at the time. And she said, I have to make something clear to everyone. Disability and poverty go hand in hand. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, well done, Marka. Yeah, Crystal. Yeah. And, and you know and it, what? It's, mm-hmm. People don't realize there are so many people with disabilities living in abject poverty. So then to add on top of this, you know, not caring about the education, not caring about, you know, really helping that that student be able to get a job. It's just like this terrible circle of just throwing that person <laughs> on into Changing unemployment. Joy. And I yeah. guess your family must have realized that early. I'm very fortunate to have a, a big and very supportive family that did recognize it early and made sure that I understood um, growing up that I might, you know, I might have some limitations because of the medical side of my disability, but that... Um, Society doesn't understand disability. Growing up, I was always told um, that, you know, people think differently. They don't understand um, or value accessibility like I do because I had to. I used a wheelchair. Um, I would be upset when the local ice cream store that everybody hung out with or hung out at, you know, in my, like, middle school years, um, it, it was it was inaccessible. It, it had stairs to the park area and... Uh, I just thought that was absurd and, and unacceptable and because, you know, the ADA had passed like maybe six months before I realized it was inaccessible. And um, unfortunately, it actually still is. But, you know, they, they really taught me um, to advocate for, of course, myself, but also to, to advocate for disability rights because, you know, they, they taught me very young that... Um, there's nothing wrong with me, and, you know, having a disability is not a problem, but that the rest of the world, they, they just haven't embraced it as well as they should. Be. And, you know, my parents are, are now in their late 50s, early 60s, and they even told me that growing up, they don't remember um, students using wheelchairs or who are blind, had learning disabilities, deaf, any kind of disabilities, and, and that's because the truth is they graduated high school the year that... Um, the Education Act passed. So yeah. the right. disability rights movement, it's so young. It's so young. Our movement is, is so young. Um, it's the, the forgotten child of, the, so, of social justice. And I think right now the ADA generation, meaning people like myself who have always, for the most part, lived with the benefits of the Americans with Disabilities Act, I mean, some people in the ADA generation were born when the ADA was passed. I was in fourth grade, but, you know, I'm on the older end of the ADA generation. But we have different expectations of our peers in the, you know, in employment and different things, and especially in government. So, you know, we're, we're going to hold people accountable to, to, to get with it and make sure that we can achieve, you know, inclusive justice and make sure that people with disabilities um, have social justice because right now we don't, and there's really no excuse for that. 
No, you are so right. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back from break. Hey, if you just joined us, we're talking to Colleen Flanagan, a national disability rights leader. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Colleen. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. For those in leadership positions with corporations, governments, nonprofits, and educational institutions, please pay attention. Are you aware that 10 to 15% of your potential clients are unable to use your websites properly? At AudioEye, an advanced technology has been created that eliminates accessibility issues and levels the playing field for all. Make the Internet a meaningful resource for millions of more people. Go to AudioEye.com. More accessible, more usable, more people. Call on AudioEye today. Visit AudioEye.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at one 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you just joined us, we are talking today to Colleen Flanagan, a national disability rights advocate. And you know, we didn't get to talk about you, Colleen. So let's take a moment. Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your background and then what you're doing today. Sure, um, and thank you, Joyce, for calling me a national disability rights leader advocate. That's um, I, I feel honored. Well, that's like, you. I, yeah. Well, yeah, and I've, I've actually I've considered myself a, a disability rights advocate as soon as I realized that um, disability rights was a thing when I started to embrace my identity as a disabled person as a teenager. So. Um, wait, wait, stop like right said, there. I forgot to ask mm-hmm. you that question, but I think that's important. What was it? What was the thing that happened to make you realize, oh, okay, I'm going to be part of this? I, I think it literally was, I, I, I think whether I was born disabled or not, I am definitely somebody who believes strongly in social justice. I'm an activist through and through, and I think just experiencing that inaccessibility, seeing that my brother and sister and cousins and neighborhood friends, they were able to go to places I couldn't. And I accepted it when it was that they were riding bikes. Okay, I can't ride a bike because of my physical disability. That makes sense. But I didn't accept it when they were allowed to go on, like, public buses in middle school or to to, to parks by themselves that, you know, had stairs or different things to get into. That I, when, when I started realizing I wasn't able to go to a lot of places that they could simply because Somebody didn't build a ramp or build the structure that embraced my existence. That's what really got my blood kind of boiling because I was like, that's not fair. I see buildings being built all the time. Like, you know, why can't we just make sure every building is is physically accessible because disability, you know, it, it happens. It's a normal part of life. And, um, and, and let's fix the older buildings that are inaccessible. And instead I, I saw pushback from my, I guess, society and community. Um, I, I'm from, I live in Boston, so, uh, you know, part of the pushback was this myth of a grandfather clause, or in other words, the buildings are too old, we can't fix them, it'll take away the historical value. And it, it just, it, it, it put me in an outrage, because I, I, I also had a lot of friends with disabilities when I was at um, middle school, high school age, and I saw the injustice that they faced was the same as mine. So it, it really started getting me involved. And then actually um, I attended like Easter Seals camps and things and ended up doing, um, working with them um, or they, they, I was lucky enough that they asked me to work for them to kind of spread the message that, um, 
disability is not something that should be a barrier. And uh, that opportunity showed me that my, my outrage could be uh, channeled into something more positive. So, um, like I said, my, ever since I can remember, I've, I've had a passion for advocacy. But since uh, college, I um, have mainly worked in, in human services, actually, um, with uh, young people uh, with disabilities. And about two years ago, I kind of shifted my career into more of a... Um, into more advocacy focused, and I currently uh, consult on social media um, with different uh, organizations because I believe strongly that social media is kind of the meeting place of people with disabilities. Um, like I said earlier, the disability community is the forgotten child of the social of the social justice movement. All of them. Um, they keep forgetting that people with disabilities. Um, intersect with absolutely every other identity. And until social media came around, we didn't really have a place to come together and, and talk about our commonalities and talk about um, how we all experienced inaccessibility or discrimination or, you know, different things that now that we've had social media out for a while, we've been able to amplify that message. And my work right now focuses on really fine-tuning the tools and um, bringing the dis disability community together um, on on social media, um, and to make sure that the rest of the world understands that we are we are you know and people with disabilities value their identity a lot of them and then a lot of them don't even identify as disabled because there's so much fear and stigma and maybe if they discover in the privacy behind their screen on social media that there's people just like them, they'll start to shed that stigma that's been thrown on them by society and start to, you know, embrace some disability pride and advocate for reasonable accommodations in the workplace um, if they're facing employment discrimination or, you know, reasonable accommodations in higher education um, if they're going to college. That Without a strong identity with disability or pride, it, it's really hard to you know, change the world because disability, it affects every community, like I said earlier. So um, coming together on social media, which is what my work is doing right now, I really um, hope to bring people together to make that voice louder and also to, you know, what we're already been doing since social media started, coming together in a meeting place and leaning on each other so that we can recharge our batteries and then go back out to the communities that we're in and let remind them that disability is a common thing and not something that should be so um, feared and stigmatized. So, so right now then you do consulting in that area? Social media? Yes. Yeah, social media because, um, you know, I honestly believe that technology is the grease in the wheels of the disability rights movement. And I... So many people, um, almost everybody has a smartphone, whether they have a disability or not. Um, and they use it to, to come together in chat rooms or on Facebook or on other social media channels. And I'm consulting different organizations that are using social media um, to market their brand to make sure that they understand people with disabilities are out there in these platforms like Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or any of them um, so they don't miss out on this massive market that's out there. Um, and also for social justice organizations to um, know where to find the disability community on social media. Yes. Well, I mean, Colleen, I can tell you, Colleen is really a hard worker and bright person. So I would recommend oh, her for doing this for anyone because she just does a masterful job. But I know you do um, other work too, Colleen. What else do you do? I think you founded an organization. I did. So um, after the election, um, I, like the rest of the country, was pretty shocked and outraged and um, was ready to resist. And uh, co-founded a political action committee that basically it's um, 
embracing candidates who value disability rights. Um, and there's a lot of candidates on, on bo- in both parties, in all parties, who, who do value disability rights, but they, they don't know where to connect. So this political action committee called Disability Action for America is there um, to, for candidates running for federal office um, to connect with us to, you know, to hear from the disability community and for the disability community to be able to support candidates that they value, who are, who are sharing the message that they want to hear, who are recognizing them as voters, um, as, you know, future constituents. Uh, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's only about two and a half months old. Um, I co-founded it with, um, a man named Dylan Bulkley and, uh, yeah, we've been having fun, and we've been getting so much support because uh, there really there hasn't been something exactly like this before. Um, so we're having a lot of fun and getting a lot of energy from a lot of people from the ADA generation, uh, so the folks who are kind of 35 and younger. Okay, so this is working with the disability community uh, in a fundraising capacity. Is that what you mean? Yeah, well, so so it's actually yeah, two ways. So, of course, we're going to, you know, promote candidates who value disability rights and fundraise for them and um, rally for them and campaign for them and also for them to consult with us if they have any questions. And it's also because there's nowhere near enough people with disabilities running for public office out there. Um, and we want to recruit, train, coach anybody who has a disability um, who is interested in running for public office because, again, one in five Americans has a disability, and that 20% of our population is not representative in our government leaders. So we want to make sure that the ADA generation and the next generation really understand that um, they can run for office, and we're there to help fundraise for them and um, support them along the way. Well, what a great idea. That is a great idea. I I have a question. If someone is interested in this, how do they reach you? Oh, that's a great question. So we're really really easy to reach. You can reach us on the website, which is www.disabilityactionusa.com. And on there, you can also sign up for action alerts and... um, learn about some of our ideology or philosophy um, and, and see some of our, our blog posts and pictures. And you can also connect with us on Facebook. We're at Facebook um, backslash Disability Action USA. And you can tweet us on Twitter. We are at Disability PAC, Disability Pack. Disability Love Pack. to talk to you. Before mm-hmm. we go to break, give me that website one more time. Sure. www.disabilityactionusa.com. Okay, everyone, you heard it. Go there and follow them on Twitter also uh, because if you want to make a change, well, make a change yeah. if you don't get involved in voting. Got to get involved. We're going to go to break. Then we'll be right back with Colleen Flanagan to talk more about what we can do, people with disabilities, to make change. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. 
Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking today to our National Disability Rights Advocate, Colleen Flanagan. And actually, before we went to break, we were talking about the new organization, which is, tell everyone again, Colleen. Uh, A political action committee that values disability rights called Disability Action for America. We are... um, making sure that candidates who have strong disability rights values are elected to office, and also recruiting people with disabilities who want to run for office. And this is great because, just as Colleen said, there are not enough people. You know, Colleen, since you're talking here about political action, and um, I thought you did a brilliant job uh, during the Clinton administration, all the work that you did. Um, I know, sadly, what happened, but... At least yeah. we have a, I mean, I know, but we got to start. We've got to start here. We've got to start getting more people together now, right now, right now, mm-hmm. not, not three years from now, not two years right. from now, not three, not four, right now. So that is one of my questions. Here we have, as you mentioned, one in five people living with a disability, the largest disability protected class, the largest group in America that is a protected class group, people with disabilities, Mm -hmm. why the heck can we not get everyone together? And why can't we get more people registered to vote? I mean, I always tell people, if we had 50 million people registered to vote and voting, oh my goodness, you know what? Every candidate would be talking to us. Every presidential candidate would want to bring in the disability vote. They would be going to our events. They would be speaking, uh, you know, on Capitol Hill. They would be so involved. Why do you think that is, Colleen? Why can't we get something more going, something bigger going? Well, like like you said, Joyce, um, there's so many people with disabilities out there, and I'm not sure if I have the statistic right, but I believe one in every six eligible voters, meaning voters who are registered, um, more than likely has a disability. So we have a big disability voting block out there. Um, there hasn't been a ton of research, but there's been a little, and it does show that people with disabilities vote. And so do our loved ones, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues. But, but our politicians I'm not really mentioning disability rights or disability um, injustice. And I think that the Disability um, Action uh, for America Political Action Committee is really kind of harnessing the disability voting block to hold those politicians accountable during their campaigns um, and, and supporting them financially as well as on social media and in canvassing and in other grassroots activities um, to, to show that they need to pay attention to the disability voting block if they want to win. Because, again, disability is a common, normal thing. I realize that the rest of the world thinks that it's a, a stigmatized thing to fear and, um, you know, something to not talk about and or, you know, something that they hope never happens to them. But like I said, um, there are a lot of registered voters who have disabilities, and if you are lucky enough to live long enough, you'll be lucky enough to experience disability too. And it's not a bad thing. It's 
it's actually a pretty it's just a it's just a different identity. So we're gonna hold those politicians accountable in the midterms in twenty eighteen for sure to make sure that they value disability rights and we're watching them right now. Um, and we will keep watching them and how they vote on different bills and take different actions and we will um hold them accountable to how their actions and votes affect people with disabilities and their families. Well, as you know, Colleen, although we work across America, our company, I mean, we, we are a for-profit company that focuses on the competitive employment of people with disabilities. So we find employment for people with disabilities in, you know, IT, finance, engineering, places like that, but we, we're national, but we're headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I am so proud of my senator, Bob Casey, who has made it a point, made it a point to take a stand for people with disabilities. I am so proud of him. And anyone listening to the show, if you have a disability or a family member with a disability in that upcoming election, you better vote for him because he is doing so much. He is making a stand. I love him, proud of him, um, and I think you would probably agree with me. Absolutely, and there's a lot of people, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the country um, who are part of the disability rights movement who agree with you, too. Senator Bob Casey has um, definitely stood up for us before, spoken out about our injustices, and is taking on our, our battle to seek inclusive justice. Yes, yes, he is. He is. He is awesome. Um, so, you must register to vote. I always yes. tell people: if you don't register to vote, don't complain. You've got to register to vote. Uh, and I commend you and Dylan on what you're doing, Colleen. I that, that's where the power is. The power yeah. is in the vote. That's what it makes is. the and- difference. That is where the power is, so I'm really glad that you're doing that. Hey, I wanted to get back to something that we were talking about before. I mentioned early in the show that 1 in 26 people live with epilepsy and that I was going to come back to that. And what what I was referring to is stigma. You go to a company... And, and, you know, or companies will say to me, oh, Joyce, we're so glad you're here. We've never worked with people with disabilities before. And I say, oh, yes, you have. They're at your company right now. They have epilepsy, depression, bipolar disorder, diabetes, uh, MS. I could go on and on. It's just they are going to tell you. And I have often wondered, and I'd like to hear your opinion, why do you think this stigma exists toward people with disabilities? I think the stigma exists because we don't talk about it ever. We don't have any education around disability rights or history, and uh, society just literally um, ignores and puts aside uh, disability. So I, I think that until the conversation is, you know, ingrained in, in more mainstream things, and we're starting to see it a little bit more in the media we're starting to see it a little bit more in politics, but until we see it representing the, the 20% that it actually is, um, 20% of the population um, being disabled, then the stigma will remain. And another really good point is when people think of people with disabilities, they think of people who look like me. And I use a wheelchair. I'm three and a half feet tall. My disability is pretty obvious. And my disability is not common at all. Um, it actually only affects about one in every 25,000 to 50,000 births. Uh, High-incidence disabilities, such as like learning disabilities and behavioral disabilities, epilepsy, they're way more common. And um, in my opinion, they're also way more misunderstood. And I think because we don't talk about it and everybody thinks that, you know, having, you know, communication differences or um, maybe processing information a little bit differently than, you know, the average person, they might believe that there's something wrong with them, and that's why they don't talk about it. Um, But most people with disabilities have, you know, hidden disabilities. 
uh, learning disabilities and other things. Um, so I hope very much so that people, the, the majority of the disability community, uh, speaks out more um, about how they value disability rights, they value reasonable accommodations, they value the protections um, against discrimination as being a person with a disability. And I think that's going to kill the stigma. Well, I'll tell you what. I have had uh, extended family members that when I, you know, talked about, um, oh, Yes, isn't this great? Here's a photograph of my friend, and this is a person in a wheelchair with a significant disability. How surprised I am when they say, oh, I feel so sorry for them. You know, and how shocked I was when one of my managers who has cerebral palsy, when someone said, and how is that uh, little crippled girl? I'm, I mean, I'm yeah. also shocked it's, because I'm, I'm, you know, I, my employees do have disabilities, just as I do, even in our corporate uh, office. But I really often wonder what the heck. It, now, I'll tell you, this is what causes people to not disclose: is that they know how people talk or what they say. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it really is fear. The thing you said, Colleen, you don't look like me, and I'm uncomfortable with the way you look. I mean, I always tell people everyone's fine with me until I'd have a seizure, and then it's like mass hysteria. <laughs> right, exactly. And, I mean, I think so many people with autism experience the same thing, you know, um, and it's not okay. Uh, we all behave and think and walk and talk and see differently. That's just how it is. And by, you know, embracing disability rights, we embrace that we do things differently. But as long as we, you know, contribute and continue to make the world a better place, it shouldn't be okay that you're uncomfortable with how he looks or sounds or, you know, uh, behaves um, because disability is too common for that. And we... Normal part of life. That's right. That's right. Well, folks, uh, we're going to go to our last break. And if you've been listening to us, we've been talking to Colleen Flanagan. And remember, the show is archived at BenderConsult.com and at VoiceAmerica.com so that if you've heard the show today but you wish someone else has, you can refer them back so they can listen to it again. And I hope you will do that. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back to close the show. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. For those in leadership positions with corporations, governments, nonprofits, and educational institutions, please pay attention. Are you aware that 10 to 15% of your potential clients are unable to use your websites properly? At AudioEye, an advanced technology has been created that eliminates accessibility issues and levels the playing field for all. Make the Internet a meaningful resource for millions of more people. Go to AudioEye.com. More accessible, more usable, more people. Call on AudioEye today. Visit AudioEye.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, everyone. You know, thank you, thank you for uh, joining us today. And before we go back to Colleen, I just want to thank AudioEye, Cavestro, our lead sponsor, Highmark, always there for me, always there. Thank you, Highmark. Thank you, David Holmberg. I really appreciate it. David's the CEO, great man. Great company. They've been with me from the beginning, so thank you. So, Colleen, before we end the show today, just a couple last things that I'd like to ask you. Uh, first question is, uh, who is your role model? I mean, you have to have someone that has inspired you or impacted you because you are, as you said, a lover of social justice. You're what I call freedom fighter. So, past or present, who is your role model? Whew, that is a tough question to answer on the spot. And I have many, 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 but I'm going to pick somebody um, who is a, a major um, role model to me. Um, I never met this person, and he's passed away, but that would be Justin Dart. Oh, um, what a great yeah. man. Yeah, I, I unfortunately never met him. But I followed his work um, towards the the end of his life um, and was introduced to his work um, around the time of the ADA, or a little bit after the ADA because I was a little young. Um, but I think it's so amazing how he recognized that people with disabilities are in, you know, homes in every single community across the country. And he and his wife traveled across the country to gather those stories to make it known that there's a whole population out there that is experiencing such extreme injustice. And he brought our movement um, into existence. And, um, you know, uh, you know his um, famous saying is, um, get involved in politics as if your life depended on it, because it does. And when I first heard that saying, it really resonated with me because it, politics kind of, my life kind of does depend on that because um, living with some certain disabilities, um, sometimes you, knew, you do need to depend on others and sometimes the government um, for, to be able to access things so that they're built so you can access it or to be able to afford different healthcare things and different things like that. So that. His saying um, and his story is just something that has really motivated me um, to uh, do the work that I'm doing. And I have been lucky enough to meet his um, wife, Fioshiko Dart, uh, twice in my life, um, very recently, actually. Um, and that was an honor. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that he did the work that he did. You know what? Yoshiko listens to every show. So, Colleen, I know that means a lot to her. So, um, thank you for saying that. You don't want to know what bothers me? Remember what you talked about earlier, Colleen, when I said, what do we need to do to get people with disabilities, you know, united and uh, get out there? And one of the things you talked about was, you know, more people knowing about us and what we do and in school. It amazes me that we do not have in every high school a significant part of the education being about our history. You know, yes. you can go out and ask people, you know, who are different leaders, whether it's in the women's movement or people of color, and they know. Yeah. But and when you ask who is Justin Dart, they, they don't know. Yeah, and that is actually a big... When I first started my career after college, that was one of my first advocacy organizing projects with youth was to um, teach them about how a bill becomes a law and how government works, but also to try to establish um, October as Disability History Month. And the students I work with and organize, they, they did actually get a proclamation from our governor way back in 2009 when we did this, but there was no teeth to it at all. There was no funding, and we wouldn't have gotten it. We wouldn't have passed the bill, and that would have defeated the purpose of teaching them that um, getting involved in government matters. But... I really do believe that it's um, just so wrong that we don't teach about disability history and um, the disability rights movement because I think it actually would maybe decrease bullying and maybe that education would actually 
also help decrease the stigma around disability. Um, and everybody should know who Justin Dart is and Ed Roberts and uh, Judy Human and so many other amazing civil rights leaders who were disabled but who put, made their careers and put their, them, all of themselves um, on the line to make sure that the disability rights movement was born. And I, I do think it's a shame that children today are still not learning that in school, and I hope that that changes, like, tomorrow. I know. I know, and you know that I'm right, that, you know, if you did a survey, oh, you, so. you know that I'm right. Well, hey, Colleen, first of all, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun, and um, I really enjoyed being here, so thank you. Well, well before we go, um, two things. First, give us that website again. Yes, please visit us at disabilityactionusa.com. Please sign up for the action alerts and uh, let us know what you think, too, um, about what we're doing on Facebook and Twitter, Disability Action USA on Facebook and Disability Pack on Twitter. All right, there you go. So, Colleen, before we go, what is the message you would like to leave with our listeners today? Well, just really in closing, I would like everybody listening to this to remember that it's, it's never just politics, it's personal, and that disability is, of course, very personal, but let's make sure that we bring it into politics a little bit more so that we can achieve inclusive justice and we can experience more accessibility and more people with disabilities can not live in poverty be employed, and contribute to their communities in, at higher rates than they are. Yes. Thanks, well, amen to that. And you know what? We end every show with a quote. And since, how fitting, because you talked about Justin today, we are going to end with a quote from Justin Dart, Jr. And Justin said, continue the revolution of empowerment. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.